Hello, everyone listening. This is an episode today which is incredibly exciting for us, as every episode is, of course. But this one today is increasingly exciting because we get to talk to the one and only Jeff Coons. I mean, for us in the Legacy of Talk Art, this is pretty much up there. He's one of the most famous artists in the world. And we are presented with BMW today to talk about a car that Jeff is going to premiere next year, right, Rob? Yes, yes, yes. Jeff Coons has created a special edition of the BMW 8 Series Grand Coupe that will debut in February during Freeze LA. And we are so excited to be amongst the first to ever see this. We're going to see it uh, in a few minutes during this episode. And the car itself will be available right after Freeze. So if you want to appreciate not only a work of art, but also a rolling sculpture Ooh. out on that world premiere. And um, also big congratulations to BMW on the 50th birthday um, of cultural engagement. Um, we have loved working with BMW at BMW oh, yeah. Group Culture. Yep, supporting the arts for over 50 years. So please enjoy this episode. And remember, it's more than just a car. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I'm Russell Tovey. And I'm Robert Diamant. And this is Talk Art. Welcome to Talk Art. How are you, Rob? Today, Russell, I am feeling intergalactic. Oh, yeah. And transcendent. And I'm feeling joy and awe. And I'm also feeling absolutely flawless. Um, basically, I'm feeling a multitude of emotions, which I've never done on this show before. But no, not that many. today's guest is an icon um, of contemporary art and an icon to you and me because he was one of the first artists that got us into art. And I feel like his work has done that. It's a gift, actually, a huge present that he's given to the public all around the world. He's, he's introduced so many of us to all kinds of artists from art history He's a kind of conduit to a myriad of art historical references. He has dialogues with classical artists of the past and shows how relevant they are now and also his own thinking and how relevant that is. And I recently collaborated with him on an amazing print for Counter Editions for uh, the Tate, which was a fundraiser. And in that print, he actually was referencing um, the amazing artist Karachi and I learned all about the Baroque era through that print which was a real privilege and that's just one tiny example of, of ways that his work kind of enlightens all of us and and helps teach us about ourselves now and about the past and about where we're going in the future and you can think about sexuality pop culture um, even a collaboration with Lady Gaga who's one of my heroes so um, it's kind of everything we would ever want within the talk art DNA. So we would like to welcome to Talk Art, all the way from New York, Jeff Coons. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Robert. How are you doing? Russell, how are you? We're great. Where do we find you, Jeff? Where in New York are you? I'm in New York. I I happen to be at uh, my new gallery, at the Pace Gallery. I'm on one of the upper floors of the building. And uh, but it's really nice to be here and uh, be speaking with you and being on the podcast. Thank you so much. What what is it like to be at your new gallery? Then this is this is a really recent uh, change for you to be with Pace. You know, I've known uh, uh, Arnie and uh, Mark Limpshire for many years, so I've been uh, uh, friends. And with my work, I've always been uh, really at the service of my work. And I've wanted to create uh, 
uh, works to be able to have in production, and pace has been fantastic. And we have a lot of works being uh, produced. I think there's always been an amazing stable of artists that have worked with Pace. Mm. Uh, one of the last times I saw uh, Bob Rauschenberg was uh, over at, at uh, Arnie's home. And so uh, it's really nice to feel part of the, uh, the family uh, at Pace. Wow. So you, you hung out with Robert Rauschenberg? <laughs> uh, you know, yes, I'm really fortunate that I uh, was kind of, uh, Russell, in this kind of, I think of a kind of a golden era of, uh, of the New York kind of art world, uh, being here in the 70s and 80s, and, you know, the accessibility to uh, this moment where you still had, the art world was quite small, it was intimate, and you had a gallery structure that really did work uh, like a family situation. And, uh, of course, you know, Bob was so special, so generous. He always had um, money that was there that if any artist for any reason needed money, you know, you need $3,000, $5,000, no questions asked. It was there for you. Wow. And, uh, I mean, the, the art world's grown so much and it's changed so much. But this type of sense of community and, you know, why everybody's uh, uh, involved in this dialogue was really that we could make each other's lives more exciting. Wow. He's actually got a foundation now, I think. Anyway, there is the Robert Rauschenberg Foundation, which supports contemporary artists now, isn't there? Uh, 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 that's correct. And, and you know, Bob and um, Jasper, Andy, uh, uh, Roy Lichtenstein, all of these artists kind of also help kind of set a framework that I think we all kind of work out of a little bit. Uh, yeah. You know, we're involved in participating in a lot of, you know, charities and uh, involved in a lot of uh, programs. Uh, you know, the whole kind of idea uh, of the arts, I mean, it's based in uh, the humanities. And the art world always kind of gets a rap that it's, you know, it's about money, it's about all these other things, but really at the core, uh, it's a group of people that are in, interested in communication. They're interested in how they can, you know, become vaster as human beings and how we can share that with other people. And I, I think that's the core of the art world. I mean, that's what I grew out of. Yeah. Did it feel like it at, at the time? I mean, retrospectively, obviously, that you described it as a golden period. But when you're living it, when you're actually in the contemporary moment then, did it feel like golden? It felt great. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> uh, you know, colors were bright. Uh, you know, everybody enjoyed fun. They enjoyed uh, being together and they enjoyed the exploration. I mean, it's a journey. And... Uh, and the, the belief in it. I mean, I, I really think the kind of the concept of the avant-garde, I think, has always been that you can change, you can create your own life. You can, mm. you know, create your own uh, being, what life experience is, but that you can also do the same thing for the community. Uh, the whole perception uh, of what the experience of life is. And... Um, it's still alive. There's still that flame that's there. 
And uh, there's uh, still this, I think, desire for shared experience. It's not just polarities where, you know, you have one group interested in certain ideas and another, but that actually people can have a goal together, that we can look at the world, we can look at this experience and what we can do together to make this life uh, more interesting for all of us. And actually, one of the things that I admire so much about you and your work is the way that you you take art and the all these ideas of of togetherness and um and just about art, you know, the soul of art to the mainstream. And you've kind of taken it into homes where previously art might never have been. And for example, like we've been brought together right now with with BMW, and you've just made a new car. And if you were thinking back to when you were a kid, for example, like you were, I don't know working in your dad's store um, as a young child, could you ever have imagined or dreamt that one day you would be like designing a car that would, you know, go around the world as a kind of artistic message? Uh, No. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, uh, the way art came into my life, I I remember when I was around three years old, four years old, my parents coming up behind me and kind of giving me a pat on the back when they saw that I made a drawing of a sailfish jumping up out of the water. And uh, it gave me a sense of self, uh, that I finally felt like I could do something on a level within the family that kind of defined who I was a little bit. And my parents were supportive. I took art lessons as a child, and I ended up always being in art class in high school. And I wasn't prepared to do anything other than uh, to make art but I had absolutely no idea what art could be. Um, And it wasn't until I was in uh, art school that I had uh, the first day of art school, actually, uh, they took our class to a freshman class to a museum, the Baltimore Museum. And I realized I didn't know anybody. I didn't know Brancusi. I didn't know Cezanne. I didn't know Brock. And I survived that moment. And from that moment, I decided that I also wanted to make art that not only could I accept myself and my own cultural history, but I could communicate to other people that everything about them, it's perfect. Their own history's perfect. Everything about their being is perfect. And it's really about this moment forward. Now, I say that after an experience of of understanding and thinking about what I've done. But I know really at that moment when I was able in a way to save myself from being intimidated by art, that somehow I wasn't going to let it disempower me. Instead, I was going to let art empower me. And I've tried, and I know it was a consciousness at that moment to share that with others. I think this thing about you creating your own destiny, like, like you were saying earlier on, and being empowered is really ins- inspiring to read about, but also inspiring for other people to see. But there's a story about Dali. You was obsessed with Salvador Dali, and you were able to track down when he was visiting New York, and he was staying at the uh, St. Regis Hotel. And then you had this incredible experience with Dali, where you ended up at the, the now quite controversial Nodler Gallery to go and see an exhibition of his. Can you t- talk about that story? Because that, to me, just sounds like, you know, meeting, making, manifesting your art heroes for you. And, and, and shows the generosity of the art world. I mean, uh, yes. 
you know, there are aspects of uh, Dali that are, are you know, are controversial and, you know, people can speak about different areas of his life. But I know that when I called him as a, a young person, I was 18 at the time, and I told him I was a fan and that uh, he was staying at the St. Regis Hotel. And I just called the hotel and I asked to speak to Salvador Dali and they put me through to his room. Oh my God. <laughs> oh, calling, love that. And uh, he answered the phone. And uh, I told him I'm a, a young fan. I really enjoyed his work and I would love to meet him. And he said, well, if you can come to New York this weekend, I'll meet you in the lobby at the hotel at 12 noon. And I, I said, well, I'll be there. And sure enough, exactly at 12 noon, he came down. He had on this big buffalo fur co uh, coat. He had on this uh, beautiful tie with diamond uh, tie clips on it and his silver cane and his mustache was up. And, you know, I, I, the uh, houseman, the photographer, his daughter, one who photographed Dali a lot, his daughter one time said that when you'd be around Salvador Dali, he would make you feel as though uh, you were the most special person uh, in the world and that everything he has done as far as the way he's presenting himself, he's doing just for you. And absolutely, you would feel that way. And so his generosity, this young kid, he, he met me there. He said, uh, uh, you know, Jeff, if you would like to see an exhibition, I have a show at the Nodler Gallery. Uh, if, if you'd like to go there, I'll meet you there. And I said, sure. He, he said he had to meet a French journalist. And so I went there, and he was walking around the gallery, and uh, he was with this very tall uh, a French woman. And I learned, I started to put things together, looking at photographs that I shot of that day, and realized that it was Amanda Lear that he actually had uh, met, this very famous uh, uh, French uh, personality uh, journalist that was kind of like a muse for Dali. And he posed for some photographs. And, uh, you know, I, I left New York that evening really feeling like, you know, I could do this. I, I, could, make, I could make art a way of life, that uh, this is how I could spend all my energies and be involved in this dialogue every day. And I just wanted to be part of this kind of idea of the avant-garde. Amazing. Yeah. What, what, what was it about his work specifically that you were really drawn to? I think the inward journey. And uh, Russell, I, I found that um, Dada and surrealism, uh, they, they helped me. And, uh, you know, art of the insane, na naive art, outsider art, all of this work and enjoying it help, and focusing on it helped me to be able to go inward and think about what I dreamt the night before and reading a lot of Jung and uh, Freud. And, but at a certain point, the last place I wanted to be then, once I learned how to accept myself, was inside myself. Automatically, you want to go outside the self. It's like a clamshell opening up. And you're able to be in communication with the world. And I think all of the objects and images that uh, we work with and we create is really metaphor for this experience of acceptance. And 
you, you start by, you show these images of the outside world, which in a way are showing acceptance. But in the long run, what we're really having a dialogue about is the ability to accept other people, to learn to accept the self, and then to go to a higher level to transcend where you can accept other people. I think there's always been this theme of, of you somehow like externalizing through your artworks, your innermost thoughts, uh, passions, fears, uh, fantasies, all, all these different elements of what it is that makes up a human being. And in turn, you know, even if you think about the, the surfaces of your, you know, sculptures, we, we as, as viewers then see ourselves, you know, and, and our own um, fears and, and thoughts within the work. And I think that's why it's, it's been sort of so successful in a way. Is that, is that something you, you want a viewer to experience? Uh, you know, Robert, when I first started working with mirrors, would have been around 1977, 78. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember working with some inflatable objects, an inflatable rabbit, inflatable flowers, and I would place them on these little square store-bought uh, mirrors. And I would have such strong kind of visceral sensations uh, looking at these uh, uh, these inflatables just being displayed on these kind of Robert Smithson mirror situations. And, uh, you know, when, when you would move, you would see that the reflection would change, that these objects were uh, kind of revealing on these mirrors. And there was a little difference in time, too. You would, you would be in the here now, and it would just, just be slightly slower in the reflection. But these sensations were so strong and intense. And so I continued working with this dialogue with reflection because it does incorporate, it makes you very, very aware that everything is about you. It's about your experience. It's about being in the moment. And art and these experiences, what's of relevance, isn't external. I mean... Things externally can excite you, they can stimulate you, they can have gene expression take place within your body, but the art is happening inside you. Anything of value in life is happening inside you. Wow. Well, that's powerful stuff, Jeff. Um, so you were, you were inspired by this show at Baltimore, but I, I'd really like to talk about how that then triggered off when you went to see uh, a show at the Whitney uh, on the artist Jim Nutt, which then inspired you to travel to Chicago, and you then had this whole experience with one of my absolute heroes, um, Ed Paschke, who became a huge influence on you. Can, you. can you talk a bit about that kind of suddenly like spin-off from going from Dali to then seeing Chicago Imagists and how that took you off? Uh, absolutely. Uh, Russell, you know, I, as I mentioned, I liked Dada and surrealism. I never really had interest in New York art. I mean, the way I kind of you know, perceived the New York art world, the type of work that was being made. But I wanted something uh, different. I liked pop art. And when I came across the Chicago images through seeing Jim Nutt's show at the Whitney, I mean, my mind was kind of blown because here you had pop art. It was, uh, but it was also art that was connected to, 
you know, to personal kind of subjective, personal iconography. Uh, it was tied to a more of an intimacy with the self, still uh, kind of contained being within, but making these outside external references, and also to art history. And uh, Jim Nutt's work painted on plexiglass, the colors were so bright and, and pop. And then I saw uh, Ed Paschke's work. I, I saw the, uh, the drawings that he did for, I guess, the Watergate series. These were fantastic uh, drawings of some of the people that were involved in Watergate. And they were put in all of these kind of very strange costumes that light would be kind of glowing and reflecting off of in a strange way. And I became hooked. Uh, I looked into the, uh, the imagist's uh, work, and I transferred from the Maryland Institute College of Art in Baltimore to the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. Chicago, yes. So the first night I go to Chicago, I uh, went to the gallery area, and there was an opening at Dazon Sachs and Phyllis Kine Gallery, and these were the big galleries in Chicago. And I went down to a bar underneath called the Inkwell, and this really tall, lanky guy came walking in. And I thought, from everything that I've heard about, uh, this has to be Ed Paschke. And sure enough, it was Ed. And we had some drinks and we talked. I told him, look, I just uh, was starting school there. I would love to have one of his classes. Could he be sure that I would be in his class? And he said he would try. And we just befriended each other. Eventually, I become uh, Ed's studio assistant. And Ed really kind of, he taught me the politics of art. I mean, Ed was, uh, you know, an artist, very, very ambitious, a great artist. At the same time, he had a family uh, supporting uh, his wife and his kids. And, uh, and so this kind of balance, and he, would, he really would talk about being at the service of his work. And, you know, to this day, uh, you know, that's what I feel like I'm doing also, always being at the service of my work. And Ed taught me that everything's already here. You know, nothing new comes into the universe. It's, it, we're surrounded by everything, and we just have to open ourselves up to it. Yeah. And Ed would show me, you know, where he would get his source material. Uh, you know, uh, Russell, uh, Robert, like if you would see the, the paintings and maybe the fabric in the background of one of Ed's paintings, the way the light would hit a curtain or something, you know, he'd take me to a club and show me, well, yeah, I've been looking at the lights, the way they hit this kind of velvet curtain there, or the, here's this tattoo parlor. And you just realize to open yourself up to life, that everything is here. And Ed really taught me that. Do you, do you get starstruck, Jeff? Do you, like, like, you're a superstar, the world's most famous living artist at the minute, and people must get starstruck around you like ourselves right now. But do you, if through history, like you've met the greats, you've met Andy Warhol, Rauschenberg, Jasper Johns, Basquiat, you must have met Keith Haring. Do you have moments now where you get starstruck within the art world? Uh, you know, I always have to pinch myself that just, you know, the different opportunities uh, that I've had in life, uh, to meeting different people. Uh, I've always wanted to participate. I've always wanted to interact with people. Uh, my family, my grandparents, my aunts, my uncles, uh, many of them were merchants. So I, I really grew up with the, the idea of really the joy of interacting uh, with the community. 
But uh, yes, I'm, uh, I'm starstruck with, you know, I believe in giving it up, that it's all about finding things that are greater than the self. And that's how we transcend. And, you know, so I love Manet. Uh, you know, Manet changed my life. And I know that Goya and Velasquez changed uh, Manet's life. And this, this linkage, uh, you know, this interconnectivity, the way our genes and our DNA are interconnected, our external life, our cultural life is interconnected in the same way. And so I'm always giving it up. I'm always in awe and uh, wonderment. Because, uh, you know, through that, we can really tap into our biological memory. And it's really everything that we can have perception of. And, and it's there. It's within our body. Our body carries so much information with it of really what it means to be a human being. So, uh, you know, when you think about what do, what do we like to look at, we like to look at people. I mean, uh, just go down the road and look at the signs and there'll be images of people or turn on your television. You're looking at people. To this day, all these, you know, hundreds or millions of years of, of, of development uh, and we're still fascinated to look at each other. And it's really what this life experience is about, to communicate with each other, just really kind of one-on-one or if we can... Uh, do it within, you know, a larger context. But it's about communication um, with ourselves, of our understanding our being, and then to be able to communicate with other people. That's what we're interested in. As well as being a studio assistant to um, Paschke, you, you also worked on the membership desk at MoMA. And can you remember things that you learned from that time? Because I love this idea of you, you know, um, working on that, on that desk um, as a young artist. And, you know, you weren't selling your art then. And, and just as a message to younger artists listening to this show that, like, you know, you just have to keep persisting and, um, and what you can learn from those early um, formative experiences. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, Robert, I can start back even further. <laughs> okay, cool. As far okay. as, uh, uh, you know, having different uh, experiences. But I was always brought up to be self-reliant. So when I was younger, I would order kind of wholesale. I would order bows, ribbons, uh, uh, greeting cards, chocolates, candies. And I would go door to door uh, within these kind of suburban communities of where I grew up in Pennsylvania. Now, the world has changed, so I'm not advising that uh, people go door to door knocking uh, today. But it had a huge impact on me. And first of all, it was great for self-reliance. But, you know, I, I never knew who was going to answer that door. You go up, you knock on the door. You know, uh, what were they going to look like when they opened the door? What odors could come out of the home? If they would invite me into the home, you know, were they going to have shag carpet? Was there going to be plastic on the furniture? And I really believe that this practice of acceptance, that, you know, everything's perfect in its own being, really started then. And this desire to be able to uh, be involved uh, with acceptance, uh, I think, started at that time. Uh, to be out in the world, any type of different activities that you're engaged with, that you're able to uh, 
uh, kind of experience and uh, uh, understand what possibilities you have within the self and then interacting with people, it's all really beneficial for everyone. Uh, I've always enjoyed, I mean, I'm, I'm really fortunate, I'm very grateful that I have a platform to be really so deeply involved in the, the, the creation and the production of my work today. But, uh, you know, I, I enjoyed uh, the different uh, jobs that I had, working with people, being at the service of my work. I also always enjoyed the, uh, the interaction. And I would find that I didn't need so much time to actually make my work. When I was younger, you know, you would think all week long while you're, uh, I was working at MoMA at the information desk, okay, you know, on Saturday, Sunday, you know, I'm going to, okay, I'll have the steel stand welded, I'll sand it, I'll paint it, and then I'll get this glass tank. Or, you know, it, you really focus on what you're doing and then you act on it. And, you know, maybe when you get older, the way you think about things, it's a different process. But I really appreciate the beauty and the efficiency of, of youth and how people are able to focus on what they want to do and take action. Yeah. You described yourself as the most successful salesman in the museum's history on the membership desk. <laughs> and you, you attracted the most attention because you'd wear things like uh, sequins and polka dots and bow ties and occasionally an inflatable flower, which you'd have around your neck, which was kind of like a nod to the future Jeff Coons. Well, uh, when I received this uh, job at the uh, Museum of Modern Art, I, I was just arrived from Chicago. This would have been at the very beginning, January of 77. And I was a preparator. I worked at the Museum of Contemporary Art in Chicago, hanging art uh, exhibits. And that's what I wanted to do at MoMA, but they didn't have any positions available. But they, I would call them every day, and finally they said, look, you know, if you will work at the information desk, there's an opening. And I, I said, I'll take it. I, I loved uh, that position. And so when I was there, uh, you know, I realized that uh, nobody was really kind of promoting uh, memberships. And when people would come up and they would say, I want to renew my family membership, uh, if, if people would tell them about the advantages, if they would move up to, say, a participating membership, maybe it would be $25 more, but they would get like four free books. It was really an advantageous uh, thing for uh for them to do. And so I just would inform people. And I was able to uh, have the membership uh, double, and I started bringing in contributing members. I think my uh, record was 16 contributing members in one day. But it, <laughs> it really came from the joy of, uh, of interacting with people. And uh, to be able to, you know, I believed in MoMA and... Uh, and, and of course, in uh, in art, and in a way, I guess it was a sense of a performance. Uh, I would wear paper kind of bibs, like maybe if you were eating a lobster or something. Normally, you would wear in a, in a restaurant, but maybe I would have a sponge bow tie on or an inflatable uh, uh, flower, and or big kind of uh, sequin type cufflinks. And it was just that it would also be a visual experience. Yeah. Well, this, this thing about being the salesman, it, 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 it's kind of been through the narrative of your whole career, but also getting people to invest in your 
abilities and your future uh, productions. You've you've nearly bankrupted many people who've invested in you in the past, and then the work's paid off. But you've you've had this incredible knack for making so many people uh, support you throughout everything. That that is is that one of your like proudest achievements of of the relationships that you've formed through your career. You know, I was always. You know, as I mentioned before, kind of at the service of my work. So, you know, I would work and I would uh, take the money that I earned and I would put it into my uh, my artwork. So, you know, I'd make my bronzes and I would, you know, hope that somebody would uh, acquire them. And uh, then people started to see my work and Ileana Sanaben and Dan Weinberg, uh, uh, they wanted to... Uh, to sponsor the work and uh, to pay for the uh, the production. So I'm really grateful that I came across people that uh, wanted to do that. But, uh, you know, to this day, you know, what I'm involved with is the production of my work. I mean, this is what I enjoy doing. Uh, the value that I find in life, it's the experiences. I mean, what, how art can affect us. And I how I'd like to be able to try to affect the world also with my art. I mean, uh, there's a sense of a responsibility in a way that you want to be generous. I mean, that's what being an artist is. I mean, Russell, if you're giving a performance or something, it's about it's based in your generosity of your being. And it's, it's no different for, you know, when you go to your doctor that you meet or, or any profession. It comes down to being generous. And uh, I just try to be as generous as I can uh, with my work. I try to take this opportunity that I have in life, like, you know, here's our moment in time to try to show a dialogue of what it meant to be a human being at this moment uh, and how to try to capture that and uh, define it uh, within a work. And hopefully that can be something that can have uh, more of an effect than just on myself. Yeah. How do, how do you stay focused when your work is so in demand and there is so much pressure on you to keep making work and have that attention? How, how, how do you stay focused on what the next project is? You know, I think I've always have remained kind of very, uh, you know, in, in control of what I do. I mean, I've always have, uh, you know, that's what's the, the beauty about art. It's really about freedom and that you're involved in a dialogue that you want to be involved with. And so there's, uh, I never have anybody kind of, uh, you know, uh, pushing me in one direction because I'm always walking and doing the things that I want to do and uh, that I believe in. So uh, I'm never overworked because I'm always doing the things that I want to do. I'm excited. It's what I get up every morning and that I'm thrilled to be engaged with. And uh, it's the reason to uh, face the day. It's, uh, it's the future. So talking about the new, which is obviously a term that's been throughout your work, this idea of the new, right now you've just designed your second car for BMW. And can you talk a bit about what it is about this intersection between art and the technology of cars and why that is appealing to you and why you were so excited to make a second car with BMW? You know, I was really thrilled to, uh, to make the art car. And the reason I wanted to make an art car, I started this relationship with BMW back in uh, 2008. 
was when I had my first conversation with Thomas Gerst. And uh, Thomas is in charge of the cultural relations with the BMW and uh, he oversees the art cars. And uh, I told Thomas at an event, I had an opening at the Neue National Gallery in Berlin that, you know, look, I love the art cars. I love Andy's car, Roy's car, Rauschenberg. Uh, you know, I, I would love, I love Jenny Holzer's car. I would love yeah, to- I love her one. Yeah, it's, yeah, I love these minimal cars that, uh, but that I would love to participate in the program. And, uh, you know, Thomas said, you know, this could be interesting. And I received the call and I was eventually invited to, to make an art car. And I loved the, I loved being part of that lineage and that to be in dialogue that, you know, we looked at this situation, we looked at the idea of the car and we looked at these different solutions of how to, you know, show power, how to show this sense that, uh, you know, there's an inside and an outside of a car, how you get this visceral uh, quality. And, you know, I, I, I love the idea of that. And so we always kind of had in the back of the mind, wouldn't it be nice somehow to still work together again and to uh, have another project? So sure enough, we, uh, I got a call in 2015 from Thomas. And it was, you know, how would you like to make a special edition car? And we started that dialogue in 2015. I looked at quite a few different cars. I looked at a V12. I looked at the 7 Series. And it wasn't up till the pandemic. And I, and I would drive these other cars. But it wasn't until the pandemic that uh, I was in contact with Thomas. And we talked about the, uh, the 850i, the Grand Coupe. And they sent the car to me. And I drove it for a couple weeks. And it was like, you know this is the car, you know, this is, uh, and what I loved about it, it's a world car. It's a car that is in the most different locations throughout the world, different markets. And it's a grand coupe. Uh, I don't know about your uh, situations with family and friends, but, you know, I love to be with people in a car. You know, the idea of just being in a car with maybe two people, uh, you know, I like to be with friends. I like to be with family. And the Grand Coupe gave that. And it gave me the opportunity to create a design that was really about, it was a democratic design. I mean, at my home, uh, I have a total of eight children, but I have six young kids at home. We sit at a circular table. And it's circular because, you know, there's no hierarchy. And I wanted to create a car that there was no hierarchy. Everybody had the same essence of power that, uh, that you would feel, whether you're driving the car, whether you're riding in the back, what you know, position of passenger. Everybody had the same level of power. How important is it for organizations like BMW to be philanthropic and to support the arts in all kinds of levels, you know, from the greatest artists, the, the most well-known like yourself, but also to those who are totally unknown? You know, BMW, uh, you know, I'm, I'm an artist, so I'm not here. I don't have to promote BMW no, no, or no, anything no. like that. But I tell you, I'm proud to because their involvement with uh, culture is fantastic. There's nothing on this car 
that uh, BMW pushed for or told me, oh, you can't do that or, you know, you have to do this. Uh, I mean, absolutely none of that. The only things that I couldn't do were things that legally, you know, you're bound to that you can't adjust because uh, there are certain processes that uh, are, are, have to be done through different panels. So anything that I could do, I could do. But, you know, BMW is a company that's involved in the moment. They want to design the best cars they can. They're creating cars for the future. And at the same time, they'll be able to have a dialogue with somebody like myself that, yes, we're, you know, dealing with the here, the now, the future, but also a dialogue that is philosophical also where we've come from and just a, a perspective that we're free of some of the, the technical things or the day-to-day -day things that they need to put in their cars. Yeah. We are now in the um, Pace Gallery and Jeff is taking us to see his brand new BMW. And this is an exclusive, I think. We are super, super excited to see this. Yeah, everyone else will be able to see the premiere at Freeze LA in 2022 for this limited edition. But this is the first time that we're going to see it, Jeff. Wow. So this wow. is this is such a, a pop car. This is you've actually got the word pop on there. We're, we're thinking of like Roy Lichtenstein. The first time when I created uh, the art car, I thought about plan A. And plan A was really kind of this design where when the car would go by, it would go pop, pop, pop. And it would, <laughs> I was going to use lenticular photography so that the image would change, that when the car would be coming, you wouldn't see it. But then right when it would go by, it would go pop, pop, pop. And there would be like these explosions. Wow. But it was, it was too heavy to use lenticulars on the car. I wanted the car to win at Le Mans in racing. Mm -hmm. So I went to plan B, which was the art car that I created. So uh, when I thought about the design again, I would always come back to this pop, pop, pop. And I also wanted to create this democratic situation of the car. So if you see this swoosh of air, this kind of power of air coming out of this vent, it's really functioning as a triangular shape to kind of continue and to communicate the power of the front and back together. So that if somebody is in the back seat, that their level of power, their experience is equal to the person driving the car and vice versa anywhere within the car. It's, it's like a comic strip and it feels like Roy Lichtenstein is there with you while you design this car. Well, you know, it definitely has that uh, pop and uh, on the side. So hopefully it also still has that aspect of this kind of accelerated uh, energy of going by. I also have these blue lines. If yes. They're equal uh, uh, spaces coming uh, back through of the silver, but the blue is getting wider and wider. The line starts in the front, it's thinner, and then each progression backwards. It's getting wider and wider to the back end. And also, this sense of acceleration, of this movement uh, uh, forward, this acceleration is being done through those lines. And also, that, that blue is so iconic to you, Jeff, because it makes me think immediately of what I mentioned earlier, the Lady Gaga album cover with the um, blue gazing ball, which then became such a big part of all of your work. But can you talk a bit about what colour means to you in this, in this project, you know, making this car? Well, I had access to uh, the complete inventory 
of BMW, all the colors that they've worked with that they have available at this time. So I went through and I chose this kind of, it's kind of a, a off-white, uh, silvery kind of uh, metal flake uh, a type of, uh, of off-white silver on kind of almost like a ground level in some way. And then different types of blue. And uh, one is a darker blue that has more of a, a depth to it. And you can think of more like the depths of the universe. And then there's a much lighter kind of uh, metal flake uh, blue that's also on top of that. And I have yellow. I always think of yellow as kind of the color of uh, Apollo, the sun god. And, uh, but if we look, let's look inside, okay? Yeah, because, oh I mean, God. the outside as a, we also have a back end. Let's look at this, a, an explosion on the back end. Which oh, is wow. Also wow. Uh, a reference to the, uh, the explosion on the back end of the uh, art car also. Love but that. Just, is there a certain compromise when you're looking at a car body as, say, a canvas or a sculpture? Is there any sort of compromises you have to make? You know, of course, you, you have to deal with the form that's there and the type of shape. I mean, to be able to create this type of paint job, this is a hand-painted car. It's not a foil. And today you can see all the production of foils and people really kind of throw the kitchen sink at the car. They put everything on it. You can have lightning bolts and, you know, streaks doing this and that. But uh, I wanted to create the generosity of a, of a hand-painted car and uh, all the pigments of that. It, again, it's not a foil. And at the same time, I wanted this sense of minimalism. Every mark, every line, every square uh, kind of centimeter of this car has been thought about. And so that when you, when you see this car go by and you feel this type of uh, exhilaration that's taking place that there's a sense of meaning, that why it's there. It's not just flash for flash. Mm. Have you and got one? Are you going to drive one? Are you going to drive know, around? Uh, uh, people are going to see me driving this in New <laughs> York, and uh, they'll see me on the turnpike. And uh, but, but you want to go, go unnoticed, obviously. You don't want anyone to see you. <laughs> yeah, they're going to know it's you, Jeff. Uh, absolutely. But uh, you know, Russell and Robert, I hope that when people see this car go by. They kind of go, wow, look at that. Look at that. Look oh, at they that will. Car. They will. My God. It's, it's moving amazing. joy. It's beautiful. Joy yeah. immortalized. I'd like to see it, what, what it looked like, what, what the body would look like at speed. It's going to be and incredible. That's right. And that there's a sense. I mean, it's like a peacock. But at the same time, it's not just that red, you know, that really bright red car, like, look at me. There's a reason for uh, the being. It's a reason for this. And if you look at the interior, not only do you feel the uh, kind of the thrill and the visceral uh, quality here, but then you have to think, you know, the person driving this, like what's running through their veins, you know? What type of adrenaline? I mean, it's something a little different. Wow. It's like a superhero type of uh, rush. Oh, my God. I'm That's like a superhero seat. costume. It's like Spider-Man sat yeah. there. You've got bright red <laughs> seats with these blue kind of armrests on the side. Wow. That is stunning. That is artistry right there. And also, didn't the paint take 285 hours, which is like is more than 12 days or something? To like paint. So there's, and the precision and the technology within, in, in the interiors is incredible. 
you know, uh, uh, yes, I'm going to sit in here so you yeah, can kind of get a little preview of what this is going to be like no, going down the highway. We're going to see when you're in it going, going past. Wow, you look very cool at the wheel. Yeah, you look great. So we, we, we need to ask you some questions, Jeff, before we run out of time. But if you could do, these are talk art questions, which we, we talk, ask all our guests. If you could do an art heist, you could have any work of art in the world for yourself, because I know that you collect. What would it be and why? You know, I... I love all art, okay? And it really comes down to what it does to us, what it does to, you know, the, the human being. But the things that excite and stimulate, I mean, I love Titian. I mean, to be able to have uh, Titian, Octeon, and Diana and Octeon, that would be an amazing uh, uh, painting. But I love it all. And, uh, and, and more than the painting, it would be Titian, the person himself. I, I just want to jump back to the car. I mean, this could be the, uh, I don't know, this could be uh, Wonder Woman. This could be also, what is it, the, uh, the spider? Scarlett Johansson, you know, yes. she could be behind the wheel of this. I mean, uh, but it's the, it's the average person. I mean, really, what is flowing through the body? To, you know, Leonardo would always be thinking about the fluid dynamics and the way the blood is flowing through the heart. A similar thought has gone into this interior. It's incredible, Jeff. I mean, this is a major, major, major achievement, um, both te technologically, but also just creatively as an artwork yeah. in itself. Um, what is your proudest art achievement, if you could think of one thing that you've done? You know, I would have to say uh, uh, my life. You know, my involvement with my family, with my friends, to be involved in dialogue, to be here today speaking with, with both of you. I mean, Ooh. Robert and Russell. <laughs> no, but really to, to, uh, uh, to be alive and to share the experience with other people. And uh, I mean, that's really what I'm most proud of. And to whatever my limitations are, and I have limitations, but to have enough confidence to the best of my ability to kind of carry the flag forward. And I hope that if I could share that with other young artists, like we, we all have our limitations, but the, the key is just to accept who we are and to continue to become and to be the best human being, the best artist, the best parent, the best father, the best friend, companion. Uh, that we can be. Wonderful. And actually, this new car is a celebration, really, of life. That's what it feels like to me. It's like this moving, wondrous kind of, yeah, object that's going to bring thrills to it. all people who see it, I'm sure. What's, um, what's the best advice you've ever received, Jeff, when it comes to your art? Uh, you know, the best advice, I mean, it would be that... I think it's never been directly one thing. It's an accumulation of things. And that it really is about life. I mean, I remember Sal Scarpitta. Sal Scarpitta actually uh, created cars and showed them in Leo Castelli's gallery. He was a fantastic artist, a great artist. And he was a teacher of mine at the Maryland Institute College of Art. And he told me to look at my art, the idea of art, like poetry. And he was kind of the first one to kind of crack open that shell that, you know, art isn't about just technical facility. It's about 
the world and your engagement in the world. And, uh, and he communicated that to me by speaking about poetry. That, uh, you know, it's, it's about uh, being involved and being involved in communication. And I hope that you look at the side of the car here, something is being communicated. Uh, hopefully it's information that's profound within our biology. Uh, it's deeper than the you know, top level of our consciousness. And it's within that minimalism. And at the same time, that kind of uh, uh, explosive pop quality. Yes, also the colors as well. Another question we often ask is, what is your favorite color? Is, is there one color for you? Uh, that's a, again, that's a tough one because, <laughs> you know, every color is uh, fantastic. Uh, I like the color turquoise. You know, I love green for green. I remember as a child laying in the grass and just smelling the grass and looking at that green and rolling over and looking up at the sky and just enjoying the blue of the sky. And it's uh, really a celebration of everything. Do you, do you have a, uh, any regrets? Are you someone that has big regrets when it comes to art? Is there anything that is your biggest regret? Uh, no, I mean, I wish that I would have the ability to take action and to be able to make uh, more things. But, uh, you know, you're, I'm limited to what I'm able to do and the things that I'm able to oversee and to give them the care that I like uh, to give to things. And the reason for that care is really a way to communicate to the viewer, whoever looks at that work or is engaged with it, that that care is really being paid to them, not to that object or image, but to them. But I, I, I wish that I, uh, I could have made more gestures or that I, I hope I take advantage of the opportunity for the future to make more gestures. But there's really no regrets other than uh, I, I would like to, to do more. I think it's so brilliant that BMW has, has helped to realize this ambition of yours, you know, to, to do this. One final question for you. Are you a perfectionist? Is your home tidy? <laughs> uh, I'm not a perfectionist. Uh, my father was a perfectionist. He, he, you know, really, he taught me about caring for things. And I'm grateful for that because him teaching me about caring taught me to care about people. And I picked up that at the end of the day, that's who my father was also caring about. Like if you want to present something in a certain way, it, it's not for that object. It's not for that image. It's for the person that interacts with it. That's really who you're showing caring to. So, uh, no, I'm not a perfectionist. I think perfectionism is kind of like a dog chasing its tail. Uh, you know, it, it, but uh, that's not what I uh, experience, you know. That's like a fetishism, but uh, I do care. Is, is it true, though, that you went in and shined your uh, Jim Beam J.B. Turner train twice when it appeared at Christie's, that you went in to shine it up in the viewing room? Yeah, you know, I'm sure that uh, I may have tried to present it, that it would look the best it, it, yeah. it could. And all of my uh, works, if I noticed something, uh, you know, I would try to uh, have it be in the uh, type of position that I feel that it could communicate its intention uh, 
uh, the best. But I've also changed my work when those cares became a little too much. When I created the new, and I would always have to clean these uh, plexiglass cases to display my vacuum cleaners, at a certain point, I said, no, wait, I want to go more biological. So I created my equilibrium tanks. Now, I still have to keep them clean, but it's much more of a biological work, and uh, I don't have the same demands. <laughs> Amazing. 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 Well, thank you thank so, you much, so much, This has and just also, been the best. I was just thinking your friend Bono from U2 must be really happy about this car because I heard that he'd actually said to BMW that they should get you, you in to help develop the future of their cars. So um, I hope he gets to see it. Gets a credit. You know, you know that's a, it's a really kind of kind uh, statement for uh, Bono to, to say. But I remember my first time meeting Bono yeah. And uh, he pulled up, and it was in Dublin, and he had a Trabant, one of these small, uh, uh, older uh, uh, cars. And I remember that there had uh, like a leopard skin or, no, a tiger skin artificial type of interior and lights, all these different colored lights and kind of beads hanging inside. I mean, it was really quite a, a performance interior uh, type of of peace, very, very highly decorative. And uh, uh, that was the car that he stepped out of when I first met him. Love that. <laughs> and, yeah, that would have been back in the, uh, I know, very, very early 90s. What, what was Andy Warhol like, Jeff? What was your experience when you hung out with him? Well, you know, I only met Andy twice, very superficially. And there are a lot of artists that really had the opportunity to, to be engaged with Andy. But, uh, you know, I only met him, again, superficially. People that have been close with Andy, um, you know, often many people have told me that they think we would have really gotten along and yes. would have uh, enjoyed and uh, befriended each other. I can only say that I love the generosity of Andy's work. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he really has uh, created through his work... Uh, uh, an idea of acceptance. I mean, I see the acceptance in Andy's work, you know. Every color is perfect. You know, orange with blue is equal to pink and black. And uh, silver and red uh, is no different than uh, blue and white. It's all acceptance. Amazing. And I've got one final message from you. Uh, Tracy Emin, the wonderful artist um, who, who lives in the town where I live, Margate, told me to send her love to you. And um, she's very excited to see the car, I think. <laughs> well, that's great. I mean, Tracy's fantastic. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, one of the things that I've always enjoyed about being an artist is the ability to travel, to, you know, to go to different uh, countries, different cities, and to interact with all the different artists and the different uh, communities that are there. So uh, that's been really one of the greatest experiences that I've had in my life is to be able to participate and interact with, uh, with people from all over the world, from the art world. Yeah, and no, I find that really inspiring. I, I met you at Jordan Castile's opening at New Museum. It's like, you, it's like you go and see art. You're out there on the ground seeing art all the time as well as making it. Well, I, I wish I could say that I, I see even more, but you know, I, I just came from Florence and I was... You know, I love that city, and that's, you know, kind of looking and experiencing a whole different world, not just the contemporary, 
but uh, you know the, the Renaissance work. And it's always important also that that we always realize that that was contemporary work too, and it still is contemporary. Yeah. I mean, it's in its moment in time, but it is contemporary art from that moment. And uh, but these institutions, uh, the New Museum, uh, all of these uh, places have been, you know, tremendous support vehicles for artists. I'm I'm happy they were there for me, you know. Uh, and if, if I could have any message also for younger artists, it's really to try to try to say yes, you know, uh, look at things. And of course, there are certain decisions you have to make if you think it's good for you. But try to say yes, because it's opportunity. Amazing. Well, we'll be sharing images of this car um, as soon as we can nearer to Freeze LA. And also, are you on Instagram, Jeff? What do you think of Instagram? Do you use it a lot to look up art and different things? Uh, you know, I, I I sometimes will post things. Uh, I don't uh, post that often, uh, only because you know I'm involved with a, a dialogue about my work. And well, for those who do want to follow you, you can go to at Jeff Coons. You can also go to at um, Torcart and at BMW Group Culture. Um, BMW have been supporting the arts for 50 years, and um, thanks very much to them for introducing us to Jeff. This has been magical, Jeff. Thank you so much. Thank you much. so much, Jeff. And congratulations on the car. We love it. Uh, thank you, uh, Robert, Russell. It was really great to talk with you today. You too. Thanks. Cheers, we'll be back Bye. very soon. Thanks, Thanks for listening. Thank you. Bye. 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 You've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamond and Russell Toby. Follow us on Instagram at Talk Art, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in today's episode, with music by Jack Northover. Subscribe to Talk Art at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Give us a rating and write us a comment. Thanks for listening. <laughs>